Hey, Gospel Defenders, this is Jesse the Radical coming at you from the Gospel Defender Studios. Uh, This section, this podcast you're listening to today is going to be a series that we're doing, reviewing um, uh, Mr. Andy Stanley, uh, large megachurch pastor. We've been talking about him and what he said about the sufficiency of Scripture. So we're reviewing a sermon, uh, basically it was part of a sermon series that he did. And uh, you're going to hear uh, Robert, uh, the Rain Man, and Andy, the Anchor Man, as well, interacting here. But this is the first part of a multi-series we'll do, uh, going through and and reviewing, commenting on this sermon. So, want you to know what's going on today. It's a little bit different from our normal um, segments. We don't have all the other stuff. It's just getting straight into it. We hope that you're equipped. We hope that you're blessed. And we hope that you know that the Word of God is the infallible, inerrant source of our knowledge of salvation. It is uh, able to make us wise unto salvation. And that's what we want to, uh, to get across clearly in this. God bless you. Thank you for tuning in today. You ready? Ready. Do your ears get hot? (laughs) (laughs) All right, here we go. Coming in in the middle of the movie. But the good news is, as long as you pay your electric bill and have internet, you can catch up if you go to whoneedsgod.com, whoneedsgod.com, whoneedsgod.com. And um, as you're listening to these messages, most of us are thinking, "I, I know who needs God. I know who needs God. I know who needs God. And so feel free to pass these along, tell your friends about it, and hopefully we're going to answer some questions that maybe you've been wrestling with for a long time. So part three, preview. I want to say something first. This whole series is what I would call a seeker-friendly series. Right. It is geared towards reaching people who are on the fence about Christianity. It is not geared towards edifying the body of Christ. It is not geared towards um, strengthening the Christians. It's geared toward someone who doesn't know if they if Christianity is true or not, um, we can talk about that more as we go on. But what we see is that the whole model of this worship service, because he's going to say he said later in an interview with I think Russell Moore that he doesn't always use scripture in his messages. Right. So he'll preach for forty minutes without scripture. Well, why is that? Because he doesn't want someone to come to church and feeling like they're being <clears throat> preached to. So he's going to wait two or three weeks into the series. Before he actually opens the word of God. What does that tell you about what he believes about faith and persuasion? If the method of conversion is the gospel, I would start out preaching the gospel. Which is why Apostle Paul said in Corinthians, he said, I did not come to you with persuasive words or human wisdom, but instead declaring the... uh, testimony and the power of God through the foolishness of the gospel. I don't know. That's that's just what kind of sticks out to me. Yeah, well, we'll get into it. Okay. On who needs God. We began this discussion around the tension that a lot of us feel. In fact, about 25% of the population of the United States has, has designated themselves or have stepped into the category that's now known as the nuns. And the nuns are those who are just not affiliated, not, not religiously affiliated. And many, in fact, the majority of the nuns actually stepped away from Christianity in this country. About 35% of millennials. So what does that tell you he believes about faith? It's a... Man-centered, driven, that it's based off of your decision, so that way you can walk away from it. It's not that God has saved you, and it's him who's doing the work, so that he is the one who keeps you. That's why faith is a gift. So, it is definitely a man-driven decision-making, because you can walk away from your salvation. What do you think, Andy? Yeah, it sounds like it's not some. It's like a tangible thing. It's like something that's physically there that you don't like. You have you can hold on to it, or you can let it go, and you can walk away. And it's more spiritual than that. Mm, so, would you say, in in his view, 
faith is something that you hold on to instead of something that holds on to you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. In, his, mm-hmm. in his view. Yes. And I think usually with that view, what tends to happen, not in all cases, but uh, you see in a lot of cases that the gratitude for their salvation is lost. That one's gratitude for what God has done in their life, because if, if a person is saved by knowing that it was nothing they could do when they're, when they're saved, that it was solely God saving them, there's a gratitude to worship him, knowing that I have nothing to bring to the table. But one who thinks, ah, I did this, this is based off of my decision, it becomes more of a me gospel instead of a him gospel. Which basically means that, um, and this is what we mean by the term uh, synergism. Synergism believes God and man cooperate in salvation. Monergism, which is from the the word mono, meaning one force, monergism believes that it is God who is the active force, the pursuant force, the seeking force that uh, causes salvation that in, in, in the regeneration of man's heart and man's mind. So what we clearly see is that a synergistic view of salvation changes everything you do in church. When it becomes man's, man's goal to, uh, uh, he, he's the one who saves himself, then I'm going to throw every trick in the book at making him think he can make that decision. I feel like it started with, and it came from man's want and desire to feel accomplishment. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Well, that's in man's nature. Man's nature is always to be in rebellion, always want to have the glory. That's even in the, the, the <coughs> salvational process. What is that saying? Well, I've done this. I chose you, God. I made the decision. What mm-hmm. happens? That takes the glory from God of what he has done to you by imputing righteousness to you, by changing your heart, by him doing the work. Now you've taken some part of his glory of saying, it's based off my decision. Mm-hmm. I chose you, God. And that, and that's why it's foolishness to the world when we preach the gospel, because we are in rebellion to God. And it takes the work of God to change man. I'm pretty sure we, we may have to break this uh, up into two segments because we're, we're about 56 <laughs> seconds into the sermon. So, percent of the population, and you may be in that category, or maybe one of your kids or your grandkids, or you know someone, and it's a tough place to be, but it's understandable why people are making the decision just to unaffiliate or disaffiliate. With- First of all, they're making the decision to leave because he believes they made the decision to come, mm-hmm. that it's based in a mental construct instead of a supernatural birth it's like it's like me thinking that my son my my one-year-old baby can become unborn that he just got born and now he can become unborn when jesus said you must be born again he did he, he i don't think jesus is saying make a decision I'm thinking he's saying, you must be a new creature. And this is not something that you yourself, uh, the the flesh, has the ability to come about. So they make the decision. It's it's important to note, too, that he's talking about salvation. Correct. Not coming to the church. Right. Not just making the decision to go to church. Sure. Um, you know, I think it's important to distinguish that because you do have to make the decision to go to church. God yeah. can write it on your heart. You need to go. But if you don't listen, you don't listen. Correct. I mean, well, I think that's a great point. I mean, I was having a conversation with a guy the other day, and we were talking about that because a lot of a lot of times when you talk about God doing the work in salvation, a lot of people take that out of context and say, well, then God's just a puppet master and we're just his puppets and he pulls all the strings. Um and that's not the case at all. There is obedience in Scripture. I have freedom to sit here and to look at you or to talk to the mic and stuff like that. But when it comes to salvation, it must be a work of the Spirit. It must be a work of God. Something miraculous must take place. And it can only come from God. But yet God still gives us the freedom in obedience to come to church, not to come to church. What do you think? Yeah, um... Andy, this is one of the funny things he said. He has said 
that there are a lot of people in their church who aren't believers. Mm. What does he think church is? It's no longer a community of those who have been transformed by the Spirit of God. It's simply people who are along some part of the process of deciding whether or not I'm going to believe this or not. Mm. So, so for him, he thinks, you know, we have people, he said, we have people in our church family who don't yet believe. Well, they're not in the church family. <laughs> they may come to your building, but they're not in the church. Yeah, the point of the Because the church is those who have been made new creatures by the blood of Christ. They've been born again. And who come to worship God. Who yes. come to pour out their adoration to Him, their deep love, their deep respect, just worshiping Him. That's what church is about. And they want to hear scripture. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I want to be I want to be nourished by the the power of the gospel that's revealed in the word of God. Hmm. And specifically with organized religion and in this country um, with, with Christianity. There are some very unsettling things about God. There are some unsettling things about religion. There's unsettling things about theism. There are unsettling things about the Bible. There are things that are kind of mysterious and unsettling about Christianity. I would agree. There are things that I, I don't know if the word unsettling. Well, when you think about just unsettling to the point of... of yeah, I mean, I might not have an answer right now. Yeah, uh, you know, I mean, uh, for example, let's take the famous problem of evil. We've covered that in one of our podcasts. Yeah, why does God allow evil? Um, I can give you answers. Mm-hmm. I've studied answers. Um, does it make perfect sense in my mind? No. But here's the whole thing: I don't follow Christ because of my answer to problems. I follow Christ because He has died for my sins, and because of that. If I can trust him with my soul, I can trust him with the fact that he's going to be sovereign over the course of history. And, and I'm not going to understand all that. So it's really not unsettling to me that, that maybe I don't know an answer. Can I explain the whole trinity? Eh, I can try. <laughs> I Not perfectly. Am I unsettled by that? No, I think that's the mystery of the gospel. Well, I think a little bit of unsettling, some of unsettling is some of the things that you read about in the Bible that have happened to the people. Okay. Noah's Noah the flood. Okay. You know the flood everyone except for Noah's family was okay. killed. All right. The plagues, the Exodus the, the Exodus plagues. I mean that can be unsettling. It can to be. Some. Okay. I see I see where you're going now. Maybe I see And where I he's think going. that's where he's going. Okay. Here's the problem is I I don't think he sees that there's answers to that. Does that make sense? Well, and I think that Yeah, I agree. I think that's where it comes to his view of scripture. I think it comes to, number one, his view of man in Scripture, that he's not seeing the glory of God throughout Scripture, that God has been telling this story about his grace being poured out, that he will have worshipers worshiping him, that there is more man-centric type of vibe, and that's why it's unsettling. Mm -hmm. When you have a man-centered drive, it's going to be unsettling because you don't know that God is in control. You don't know that he is sovereign and he is at work. Mm-hmm. And so when it's based off of decisions or whatever's taking place, there's going to be unsettling because you have no foundation to rest on saying, mm-hmm. God, you're in control. I think that's good. When the sovereignty of God is not the, um, the foundation of the biblical narrative or of even of our own spiritual narrative, it's troubling. Think about this. Let's, let's throw this out real quick. God can speak creation mm-hmm. by his voice. He can create, and it was good. God can tell Lazarus to come back to life, to come. And what did Lazarus do? Did he hesitate? No, he came. He can do this by just simply speaking. And yet man in his power can reject God and his sovereign control that what God is going to do. See, this is where it comes back to that decision. If God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and if He, when we believe in his sovereignty, we get, when people give man too much control... That's where the unsettling comes. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah, I fully agree. Robert, I thought of something. And this will make 100%. Uh, it will make complete sense. Um, people say, well, there can't be true love unless we have free will. 
okay? God can't truly love us. We can't be in a relationship unless we have the free will to choose Him. Mm-hmm. Let me ask the question. With a kid who's adopted, does the love from the parents who adopted that kid, is that love less because that adopted kid is, is really not, not their free will is not a variable? So you think about it, okay, think about that situation. Think about someone who, who has a baby born who is uh, mentally unable, mentally incapable. Do those parents still love that child? Does that lack of freedom of the will invalidate the power of the parent's love? And in that case, which love is more powerful? Is it more powerful love when it is reciprocated or when it's not reciprocated? Mm. And the love is the force that changes you see what I'm saying? Amen. So, so my whole thing is, um, our our <laughs> Charles Spurgeon said our freedom is the ability to choose how to sin, uh, choose sin however we want to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. When God loves us unconditionally, mean unmerited, we don't deserve it. In decisional regeneration, which goes back to Charles Finney. Mm-hmm. And the you know the revivals and the altar calls and all the stuff that started during the um, man man centered salvation, all of that is trying to make God look like one who's kind of begging for us to come, but not drawing and wooing and 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 overpowering mm. our fallen nature. And the other thing, we haven't even gotten into this. Everything he's saying does not affirm the fallen nature of sin. Right. Well, I, I like what you said. You said uh, the man-centered, decision-making gospel makes God out to be a beggar. Mm. Not a sovereign, ruling king who is mighty to save, but a beggar. Please come. Please. Mm. That's, what, that's what is portrayed. Mm-hmm. And, and when we, <clears throat> it changes your whole outlook when you witness to somebody. I, this is what changed me when I, when I go out and I share the gospel is that if I believe that God is sovereign and in control and that faith comes by hearing and hearing the words of Christ. And when you witness to people, I have confidence knowing that God will save. I don't mm-hmm. know who he will save. So that's why you share the gospel to everyone without partiality. You go and you share just as he poured his love on us, unmerited favor on us, we go and we share. But knowing that he will save and that he's mighty to save, you have confidence in that. And then you're not, you're not ashamed to share with anybody. But now if you have thinking about man's decision, you're not going to have the confidence because you're going to think, well, they may reject me. They re- may reject mm-hmm. God. You know, it's going to be based mm-hmm. off that decision. Yeah, I would say if I believed in a God who was a beggar, I would walk away from that faith too. Hmm. You know, you're you're de- declaring a small, limited deity. Of course, with unanswered questions, and if you continue to get Sunday school answers to your adult questions, if you were act- asking fact-based questions and you were getting faith-based answers, of course you would step away from that version of religion. There's Thomas Aquinas coming in. Yep. And I'm gonna yep. co- I'm gonna cover this in a minute. See, see, how, how did how did he frame that? Fact. If you're asking fact-based questions, questions but getting faith-based answers, then you're not getting validated. And you know, he's he's painting this picture of this little kid who's saying, "Well, you know, why did why did all the uh, uh, the people die in the flood?" And instead of beating around the bush and saying because they all deserved it and they were sinners, you get some kind of answer. Well. Because, uh, you know, we just got to believe God had to start over and, and this mm-hmm. was his plan and stuff. No. Why did they all die? Because they deserved it. Just like you and I deserve it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so what he's saying is, you know, we're asking tough questions, but not getting good answers. And I would agree that happens. But but here's his thing. He, he believes that a fact-based question and a faith-based answer is, is something different. Mm-hmm. 
What did he say about Sunday school? Like Sunday school answers? He, he yeah, yeah, that's what, that he's 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 portraying, you know, like the little Sunday school lessons you get as yeah, as in, like I don't know, immature or yes. not as intelligent or not as credible. Maybe not not based on science, not based on fact, not based on well, it makes it maturity. S- yeah, and it makes it sound like when you grew up in the church that you grew up with just stories, and then when you're an adult, you finally get to maybe get some truth and mm. get some. Realization, and I don't, I don't see that. I mean, well, I actually had um, my mom's one of my mom's really good friends grew up, and I mean, they were probably at the time forty, and they were talking at work one day. My mom was talking about, you know, uh, like Moses walking through the the Red Sea, and the lady said, "You really think that happened?" And my mother was like, "Yes," and the lady said. <laughs> Oh, I, I always thought those were just stories that had like a, a a good moral. She'd grown up in Sunday school, listening to these stories all her life, but she literally thought they were stories. And I do think sometimes maybe that's how they are portrayed. Yeah, well, they've always been known as Bible stories. Correct. But we don't understand that, or, or maybe some people don't understand, these things are history. Right. Like God's declared word is is based on the history of his relationship with a particular people, starting with Adam, all the way through Moses, Exodus, Israel, kings, Babylonian exile, everything. It's based on his relationship with a particular people. There's a lot of people who don't affirm that now. Hmm. They do think it's just a good moral story of how we should live, which in man-centered Decisional regeneration, the point of the Bible is to teach you how to live. It's your roadmap. That you hear all the time. People are like, well, it's your, it's your guideline. It's your roadmap. The roadmap, yeah. Because um, you're David, and your problem's Goliath, and you can slay it if mm. you follow the roadmap. Right. That version of Christianity. But at the same time, the whole idea of putting a check in the atheist box is a little bit overwhelming for most people in the United States as well. The idea of a creator-less universe, I mean, as unsettling as religion is, an uncreated universe, an impersonal force that somehow got us here through natural selection, most people aren't ready to step into that category. So consequently, on one hand, there's doubt. We have religious doubts. On the other hand, the idea of facing a future where there is really no purpose and there's nothing more than what I can kind of mine out of my daily affairs, that leaves most people, not all people, but most people feeling a little bit of despair. So more and more people in our culture and more and more people in our society feel a little bit stuck in the middle. Now, when I say stuck, I don't mean they wake up every morning worrying about this. And if you're in this category, it's not like you don't have a great life and things are great. You have friends and family and you're busy and you're working. I just real fast. I just wanted to say um, when he's in there talking, I almost forgot my train of thought because my ears got hot. (laughs) Are your ears hot? My ears are hot. Um, (laughs) Oh, what was he saying? See, now I forgot what he was saying. You want me to rewind it? Um, no, 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 no. He was talking about checking the atheist box oh, yeah. and not being that hard. To me, that makes what he's doing scarier than just atheists or or Mormons or somebody with a completely different outlook on the Bible. Because mm-hmm. that, people who are, who are in the church, and they'll look at that and they'll be like, no, that's way off. Right. That's wrong. But you look at this, and if you're swayed by this, then you're not you're not doing any good there. If you start believing what he's saying, the Bible's not 100 percent true, or mm. you know that that to me is easier to convince somebody of, and that's scary. So what you're saying is it's it's almost more. <laughs> this is a this is a bad word, but but it's more, um, maybe courageous to just completely disregard it than to go through saying, well, there's really problems with some of these things and we don't fully agree to it, that that's more dangerous, the path that he's describing, than simply, I I don't, I reject all of it. Well, yeah, and something like what he's saying Mm -hmm. is easier to swallow. Oh, he's making it. If you let it, yes, and you don't do your own research and your own stuff, you're going to be like, yeah, I see where he's coming. That might be true. 
Right. And as opposed to somebody saying, there is no God. And you're like, no, yes, so, there is. So part of the reason that people don't embrace Christianity to begin with is because of the stuff he's talking about. Exactly. If we can't explain for everything in the Bible, if stuff in the Bible is not based on, uh, it doesn't have an actual answer, but is only some sort of faith-based answer, then we should reject it. I mean, really, we should. If, if, if Scripture is not the inerrant Word of God, how, how can we believe any of it? Does that, does that make sense where I'm going, Robert? Because no, what it, it seems is he's denying the sufficiency of Scripture. Yep, yep. And, but I, I wonder where he gets his information. And oh, what, what, what I'm saying is like, because me, when I do apologetics and when I understand questions throughout the Bible when it comes to the flood and stuff like that, I have answers for that. Right. There's resources out there for that. I don't understand where he's so quick to run from people asking these questions. And like many of atheists that I've had conversations with that we can be able to explain every point of the Bible that it is fact. It's based on assumption. It's based on they say because the Bible's always said this. But nobody actually looks in the Bible to mm-hmm. see if it actually said this or not. Correct. And he's not looking. <laughs> All right. So let me give Andy a brief overview of where his education comes from. Because this all makes one big circle. Okay. okay. So Andy Stanley's like 50 years old now. Yeah. Maybe 52 or 3. Yeah, he's mid-50s, yeah. So that means he was probably in seminary roughly... Let's say almost 30 years ago. 30 years. So what year would that be? That would be about the mid-80s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, in the mid-80s, you were coming out of a time where, especially in uh, higher education seminaries, even in Baptist seminaries, the authority of Scripture was being rejected. There was a big liberal movement during this time. Now, he went to Dallas Theological Seminary. Well, Dallas actually remained conservative right. um, from, from everything I know. It was um, Paige Patterson, the conservative resurgence. Everything was remaining conservative there. But you had all this stuff going on, publications going on, scholarly journals, books, rejecting the um, inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture. One of Andy's main professors was Norman Geisler. Now, Norman Geisler later became president of Southern Evangelical Seminary in Charlotte. All right. Also, um, Norman Geisler is linked with William Lane Craig. And you see the same argumentation from William Lane Craig, who is an apologeticist, as you do from Andy Stanley, because William Lane Craig 100% denies monergism. Mm-hmm. fully synergistic, who fully believes, which is why his ministry is called Reasonable Faith, that he wants to lead you by evidence to see that Christianity is the more plausible conclusion. I mean, Do you see the similarities now, oh, Robert? Yeah. yeah. Now, here's something else that happened, Andy. Once you reject the sufficiency of Scripture, what do you have to embrace? You're going to have to... I don't know. Well, <laughs> what would you say, Robert? Well, if Scripture alone... Okay, l- let me phrase it this way. If Scripture alone is not sufficient, then what then must be sufficient in the ecclesiology, in the church organization? Well, you've got to base it off of personal experience, reason. Lo- you try to have logic. So okay. everything's going to be based off of some type of intellect, like uh, what you can see or what you can experience or... Uh, certain principles that you would try to apply. Science. So what you've just described is man's continued interpretation. Yep. Okay, if it can't be based on Scripture, it has to be based off of man's interpretation. And where do we see that happening throughout church history? Papal infallibility. The magisterial papal tradition. Because here's why the Reformation started to begin with. Because the Roman church was elevating the interpretations of man in the same positions of Scripture. We, they said, we can't trust this over here 100%. We need man's tradition of interpretation 
to take the place. Now, Andy, here's the interesting thing that happens at Southern Evangelical Seminary. It's called Southern Evangelical. Mm-hmm. Half of their professors ended up confer- converting to Roman Catholicism. Yep. Mm. Why would that be necessary? It's necessary once you reject sola scriptura, that scripture alone is sufficient. And so what we see going on here is we see a Roman construct, a sacramental construct of man needing to basically go through the work, go through the process of finding faith apart from scripture, which is why he's going to preach for three weeks without any scripture. Because scripture alone is not sufficient to lead us to faith. Mm. It's based on rationalism. It's based on, on uh, um, science. You know, I don't care who you are. Science cannot prove to you the resurrection. Science cannot prove. And, and that's one reason I still, you know, I take William Lane Craig with a grain of salt because he actually points out the limitations of science. Science can't lead you to do these metaphysical things or logic things. You know, science can't prove logic, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. But those things are insufficient. Now you see the big circle. Mm-hmm. All of that's related. And, and really, it kind of goes back to uh, Norman Geisler, who I've got a lot of his books. He's got some good stuff. You know, goes back to Norman Geisler, that William Lane Craig, that rationalism. And, and this, um, I know people who've gone to Southern Evangelical, mm-hmm. and the main thing they teach is the philosophy of Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas was a Catholic monk. He's pretty smart, really smart. But what he said is that the journey to faith starts at rationalism. Okay, so so you learn enough evidence, you learn enough reason, and that's what brings you to faith. Which, number one, I believe rejects total depravity. Because the, the, the carnal man understands not the things of the spirit because they're only spiritually discerned. I think it rejects total depravity. Um, it's a full embracement of synergism, not monergism. So all of that theology, that, that philosophy, is rooted in rationalism is what leads you to faith. And that's where I think the secret family movement comes from. Yep. Mm -hmm. If we can give them enough reasons to accept Christianity, if we can make them feel comfortable, if we make them feel not offended, if we can make them feel, you know, oh, like this is this is pleasant. If all those reasons are based in there, then they'll make the jump to faith. Mm -hmm. So I think all of that comes from that same mentality. That it is rationalism which brings us to faith and I think, instead of the power of the gospel. I mean, I think what we're seeing in the church, especially in the last 10 years, you're seeing a call back to Reformation, getting back to Scripture alone, um, and it's being the great divide. This is what is dividing um, so-called, well, I don't want to say so-called Christians, but because there is people who truly believe they're just, I don't want to say you know necessarily ignorant to the Scripture, but ignorant to the Scripture. They've been taught wrong by people like Andy Stanley. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing a call to reformation. You're seeing people getting back to Scripture alone. So, And I'm really interested into where the shift started happening. You know, 200 years ago, you had Jonathan Edwards. You had these Puritan... Great awakenings that were so much rooted in the power of the gospel and the authority of scripture. But at some point, and I think it was around the turn of the century, the shift started happening. Mm-hmm. And it went towards man centered regeneration. Well, it's like you said earlier if you can't believe one part of the Bible, then you can't believe any of it. Mm-hmm. Well, that gets used against us as well. You know, you find somebody who wants to nitpick one part of the Bible where they're like, well, obviously this can't be true because they've got some sort of what they think is proof that it's not true or however they twist it. And then they're like, well, if this is not true, then none of it's true. Mm-hmm. So it goes the same way. And I think a lot of that, and that's, I think it's a, 
you know, big thing of what he's talking about on this video mm-hmm. is if it's not true, if one part's not true, like what he says, if one part's not true, it's okay. Don't worry about that. Let's, let's worry about what is true. And, and people are going to use that against us. Exactly. And he's affirming that. Well, we can't know this is true. Right. Yep. If you had to sit down and describe yourself, you would say, you know what? I'm not really religious. I'm kind of unaffiliated. Maybe I grew up in church, kind of know some Sunday school stuff, but I just had too many questions. It's not scientific enough. I don't have faith in faith. At the same time, I hope there's something out there because atheism, while it is not all that appealing, Christianity for me, you might say, has lost its appeal. And the reason I know this and the reason I wanted to do this series is I love to listen to stories of deconversion, read blogs from people who've deconverted specifically from Christianity. <laughs> there are podcasts stories that are hosted by people who just interview people who've deconverted from Christianity. And every time I hear one of those stories and every time I listen into one of those stories, there are a couple of threads that you know kind of weave their way in and out of just about, not all, but just about all those stories. So we talked about one of those last week. We talked about the somebody told me so God, if you weren't here last week or if you listen this missed the message before this one, you may want to tune in. Somebody told me so, God. We talked about the gods of our childhood, you know, bodyguard God that never let bad things happen to good people, then bad things happen to some good people. You're like, I don't believe in that God. Uh, we talked about several versions of God, and we said, if you quit believing in any of those gods, good, because you are right. Those gods don't exist. In fact, we said, if you have lost faith or are losing faith, it may be... Okay. He actually made one good point there. He, he made a good point. A You're lot right. of people are believing in a false god. Yep. So I don't believe in that false god either. <laughs> <laughs> if you left the uh, synergistic god of uh, limited power, I don't believe in that god either. <laughs> You have lost faith or you're losing faith in a God that never existed in the first place. That's what we talked about in part two. Then I said the other thread that we oftentimes see weave its way through the stories of people who've stepped away specifically from Christianity is what we call a Bible told me so Jesus. A Bible tells me so Jesus. A Bible tells me so Jesus. So today I want to spend the majority of our time addressing the a Bible tells me so Jesus version of a story which may be part of your story. But here's a little warning. So here's what he says. Today, I don't want to actually use scripture. I just want to talk about a faith that is based on scripture. And I want to deconstruct that faith. And I'm going to call it a sermon. And I'm going to try to convince you to believe in the God of scripture by telling you that believing scripture is wrong. Okay. Can I read uh, uh, something from first? I'm sorry, second Peter chapter one verses... Robert, just speak a little bit. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The inerrancy of Scripture is so important of knowing that, you know what? God said the grass withers and the flowers fades, but the word of God will stand forever. And that by no man's interpretation of him just writing scripture, that our scripture is written by the Holy Spirit, that it is a foundational point that we must have, knowing that, yes, the Jesus we believe comes from knowing that the scriptures confirms who he is and why we worship him for who he is. is because not only we have eyewitness accounts, but those eyewitness accounts was used by the Holy Spirit that God wrote through man so that we could have his word. Mm. That's a good word because I don't want to jump the gun, but that'll come into play in this video Mm -hmm. in a little while when he starts talking about making copies and stuff. Who painted the Mona Lisa? Da Vinci. Mm Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to know about Da Vinci, where would I go look? Like if I wanted to know history books. Well, well, let's for example. If I wanted to see how amazing Da Vinci was, what would tell me that? His artwork. His artwork. See, I've, I've seen the Mona Lisa is in the Louvre in France. Mm. I've seen that. So if I want to know how amazing Da Vinci was, I would look in how he revealed himself. Hmm. 
I can't know his value from, you know, hearing, hearing about him on, on a radio show. I would have to look into where he's revealed himself. And when I see that, and I see the amazing, the amazing detail and clarity, I say, wow, he has sufficiently revealed himself through this to prove his attributes and worth. And so if we're wanting to know Jesus, how do we know his worth and beauty? We look where he's revealed himself. Exactly. In the pages of scripture. I don't know. That's just me. I'm, you know. That's a good point. I don't have 32,000 church members. (laughs) It's just me. Gotta listen carefully, okay? No daydreaming. No counting the lights in the ceiling. No online shopping while I'm preaching, okay? You gotta look right here. If you, if you zone out for just a minute, you may be lost, not because you're not smart, but because we're covering a lot. It's a bit complicated, but I'm telling you, for some of you today, for some of your kids, your cousin, your aunt, your uncle, and your grandkids, for some of you today and some of your extended family, this might be the message, not because it's coming from me. I didn't make any of this up. In fact, if you think at some point he's making this up. Google is your friend, okay? I'm not not making any of this up, but this may be the message that gives some of you permission, permission to step back toward the faith you grew up with. Hmm. Did he just say that Google is more important than scripture? Yeah, he said, Google you is your friend. If you, if you don't, don't believe, believe this, it. look this up. I must have zoned out for a second on that one because I missed it. <laughs> I must have been counting the, yeah, uh, he says the pictures. That. He's like, yeah. if you don't believe what I'm telling you, Google is your friend. <laughs> so what does that tell you? That tells tell- you that he's wanting people to come back to the faith based on Google results. Yeah. Instead yes. of go home, read your Bible, and have faith in what it says. <laughs> I mean, it is so utterly... You're putting more, more weight upon Google results. Hey, and the power of the Word of God. I got a uh, Google result for you through the, the Word of God. Romans 15, chapter 15, verse 4 says this. For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that our endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Mm. Boom. That's pretty good, Robert. I can't wait to preach that. <laughs> Romans chapter 15 will be coming to that probably... Next, it'll be next year. I'm yeah. almost done with 13. So it's only taken five years. <laughs> the encouragement of scriptures that we may have hope. Hey, you might even get to preach that one. Hey, because that's a pretty good one. That's we could tie word. that in directly toward Christianity, not the version of the faith you grew up with because you outgrew that version, but back toward Christianity as Christianity was meant to be believed and understood. Now, um, perhaps, and here's, here's where we, we kind of start the conversation, and this is where we have our, our first, you know, collective, um, you know, aha, not aha moment, but oh my gosh moment. And it be, the conversation really begins like this. Many of you, you're like me, many of you were brought up to believe this. Jesus loves me, this I know, right? I mean, if it's, it's a fabulous song. Most of our kids are still singing this song. We sang this song. Jesus loves me, this I know. What's the next line? Right, for the Bible tells me so. And this is where our trouble began. Mm. It really did. This is where I... <laughs> mm-hmm. I have trouble with his trouble. Because how, how do I know that Jesus loves me? Google. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 you binged it. Is it binged? Bing. Yeah. Bing. Oh, or is it Zing? No, Bing is the other search engine. Oh, oh, about. Bing. You're yeah. talking about the search. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, Bing. Yahoo. Binged it. Yahoo. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Hey, that's a good sound bite. How do I know that Jesus loves me? Google? <laughs> Google? <laughs> well, I'm just going to type that in the search engine. Hold on. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go to Google. Yahweh. <laughs> Oh, we're not logged in. Uh, well, okay, let's go to Google. Google, how do I know Jesus loves me? Let's see what it says. Give me the top three. Okay, first one is Dr. Uh, 
James McDonald. Does Jesus love me? Gotquestions.org. <laughs> hmm. Well, well, we get a we get a lot of different answers, but I don't know. Do you know James McDonald? Yeah, I know James McDonald. Is he is he good? <coughs> he, he's uh he's fair. Pretty fair. He's yeah. fair. Yeah. Well, I'd sure I'd sure have to read a lot uh, on Google, or I could you know look at. John three sixteen exactly, and seeing that God sent His oh, Son. Oh man, I'm already going to one. <laughs> I didn't mean to throw you off. You <laughs> no, this is perfect. Finish your original thought. Robert, you got one. Yep, got one. Where are you at? I'm at First uh, John, chapter five. <clears throat> and it says, let me get here too, concerning the sun. Let's see. Let's see. We love God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever who has been born of him. By this we know that we, lo- we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not a burdensome for, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, who is that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Hmm. I know Jesus loves me, and I'm born of him because of the faith that he has given to me. Mm. The scriptures point to that. Mm-hmm. How do I know Jesus loves me? Because I have faith that he died in my place. That's how I know he loves me. That's what it says. Our faith. What is faith? Faith is a gift from God. Mm. I think somebody just taught that on a Wednesday night, like two weeks ago. Could have been me. I'm not. I don't remember. <laughs> Maybe I should Google it to find out. We should probably should. <laughs> Moving on. You want to keep going? Let's do let's do about an hour because we're at forty five minutes right now. Okay, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna have to break this up into multiple segments. I feel like part one, part two, part three. Well, let's see what the next knucklehead thing he says. We'll begin because and don't leave because the implication is the implication is this is important. The implication is the Bible is the reason we believe. The Bible is the reason to believe. In other words, the implication is. The Bible is the reason we believe. And <coughs> where is the problem there? I, I don't know. I can believe Jesus loves me because it's in the Bible. I grew up in a church where basically the byline... If it is the revealed word of God, then that is sufficient. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. If somebody, you know, you say, you know, why, how do you know God loves you? And you say, for the Bible told me so. That is a truth. Yes. But I don't, it's not enough. You it, need to it, say, the Bible told me so here. And then you read what he read. Yeah. The Bible told me so here in 1 John four sixteen. The You know, and all Correct. the Bible told me so here. But it's still the truth. Yeah. I mean, it's I mean, still the truth. Where, where else am I going to go to declare that Jesus loves me? Where else? Other than Google. And and if you search Google, what's it going to tell you? What Scripture says. Yeah, this is what Scripture says. Or it's going to be a philosophical argument, which is going to direct you back to Andy Stanley's sermons. <laughs> Title for everything was, if the Bible says it, that... Anybody? Settles it right here on the front row. Yeah, that's right. If the Bible says it, that settles it. And so we send kids off to college with a, if the Bible says it, that settles it. And oh my goodness, they discover that that didn't settle it. Okay. See, yeah, go ahead. It's what you said, Robert. It's what you said about people who don't research. Mm-hmm. People who don't research. Well, okay. Um, the Bible says there was a flood on the whole earth. That settles it. I don't think no one's saying that our uh, limitation to 
human uh, human knowledge stops with the Bible. I mean, there is knowledge outside of the Bible. Right. I mean, the the whole point of Scripture is to reveal God and who He is. Yeah. So that He can draw worshipers unto Himself. So that people can see this is the attributes of God. This is His character. This story is about Him and who He is. Now, there's other things outside the Bible when it shows different science, but no different than like with the flood. <clears throat> Perfect example. Scientists today can look at mountaintops and see that there is shellfish on top of mountaintops. How did mm-hmm. they get there if there wasn't a flood? How did the, the fossils of dinosaurs and all these other creatures fossilize the way they did with all the layers of sediment if there wasn't a mass flood? Scientists have proved over and over that, you know what? There are stories uh, not only in the Bible but in other cultures that tell of a mass flood that flooded the whole earth. Mm-hmm. Different places showed that these mountaintops had water all the way at the top. Do you know there's frozen, uh, frozen palm leaves in Antarctica? Yeah. How did they get down there? Well, Andy Stanley would say, that's too much. It's unsettling. I can't answer that can't, one. It's unsettling, <laughs> you know. I mean, you know, like dinosaurs and so forth. You go through the book of Job, it talks of dinosaurs. The word dinosaur didn't come about to a couple hundred years ago. The word dragon was always there. Right. And you look at the Hebrew, where we get those root words from. So, at, I mean... You look at Leviathan... Uh, Megalodon. What was the other one? Leviathan. And what was the other one? No, oh, I had to look and go through. Was it Megalodon? <laughs> or am I just going no, to no, dinosaur? Behemoth? Behemoth. Behemoth. That's Behemoth. A, Behemoth. Yeah. yeah. Me- Megalodon is a giant shark. Yeah. <laughs> that was on uh, Discovery Channel. Uh, yes. I'm a little unsettled by that, by the way. Google shark it. Week. Google it. Shark Week. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you know, if if if, and this is what I try to do. This is what I try to do in in sermons that are based on Scripture. Right. What have we covered? I mean, I think of the past few Christmases, we've covered the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So, and now, if I were to ask you, Robert, well, Robert, how do we know Jesus is the Messiah? And you just said, well, the Bible tells me so. Okay, number one, yes, it does tell me so. But I think what Andy's saying is we should be equipped to know where the Bible tells me so. So yeah, that's That's me, not Andy Stanley. That's yeah, right. Yeah, the the anchorman Andy, yeah. anchorman. not Andy the anchorman. I think what he's saying is here. Here's part. He grew up in a church that didn't equip him. It didn't equip him to defend the scriptures. Okay, that's fair. Then I can, that's a problem. I can agree with that. If he's saying we have done a bad job of equipping people to defend the faith, bad I can agree with that. Yep. But if he's saying we've simply we we we've we don't have the answers, that's false. Correct. And and that is the distinction that is not being clearly made. Because we do have the answers. And we can't we don't find them outside the Bible, we find them inside the Bible. Right. And then they come home and they say, Mom, Dad, Grandma, my Granddad, Uncle, Aunt, did you know? Did you know? And it's like, I don't ask those questions. The Bible says it. That settles it. The Bible says it. That settles it. The problem is this. The problem with that is this. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, if the Bible is the foundation of our faith, as the Bible goes, so goes our faith. In other words, Christianity cannot survive if the Bible goes away. Christ- okay. What did he just say? If the Bible goes, so goes your faith. So if people discredit the Bible, then our faith is discredited. Right. If the Bible goes away, so does your faith. I would, I would 100% agree. Where have I said this? Maybe it was this, this past week in Sunday school. <coughs> if the Bible was discredited <coughs> as the revealed Word of God, our our faith does not have a foundation. I mean, uh, that's that's dangerous to say. Yeah. But otherwise, what? How do we have a foundation? Well, I, I think it goes back to when you use the word equipped. Listen to this: Second Timothy chapter three, starting in verse fourteen. This is Paul writing Timothy, where Paul had went and shared the gospel in Ephesus, and then he sends uh, Timothy to minister to the Ephesian people. 
And over and over again, he's confirming to them to stand firm on the scripture, to stand Mm -hmm. firm on the faith that you had learned from your childhood, Timothy. But we start in verse 14. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from your childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for all salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for proof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So that word there, inspired by God, is theonoustos. It means God breathed. This is what Dr. James White says. The only thing that we have which is theonoustos, God breathed, is scripture. Not the traditions of man. Not the Roman infallibility, not the magisterium. None of that is theonoustos. But scripture alone, which, let's do this in case our listeners are not familiar with the five solas of the Reformation. All right, we're saved by grace alone. Through faith alone. Through faith alone. In Christ Christ alone. alone, For God's glory alone, according to scripture alone. It is scripture alone which tells us those things. Yep. Not science. Not philosophy. Not social studies. Scripture. And well, and you see here, <laughs> obviously, uh, Timothy's mom and grandmother was <laughs> building a foundation on what the sacred writings, as yep. Paul says, because that's who that's who taught Timothy. It wasn't his father. It was his mother and grandmother who taught him the sacred writings built on a foundation so that he could be, what, fully equipped. And this is important. What um, what sacred writings do you think this is referring to at this time? This is middle first century when Timothy would have been taught. So Obviously, this is the Tanakh, the Old Testament, all the scriptures that okay. they had up to that point. And Paul would even probably confirm all the, the apostle... Uh, letters that were going out. The epistles and everything that were being circulated, if yes. he had some. But we know for a fact there that the uh, the Tanakh, the Old Testament canon, yep. would have been used training, uh, edifying, and and Paul knew that even, even that was sufficient Amen. to lead us into the knowledge of the Messiah. So this is important because later he's going to say that the Bible didn't come around to um, the 3rd century. Well, Which is completely false. <laughs> except you had 75% of it available to Timothy mm-hmm. from Genesis to Malachi. You know. All right, let's do about one more minute of audio, and then we'll wind down our fir- first portion. He cannot survive if somehow every single part of the Bible isn't absolutely true if the Bible is the foundation of our faith. If the Bible is the foundation of our faith, it is all or nothing. This is why when you grew or growing up, every once in a while, you would bring information to your parents or your grandparents. So that immediately tells me he doesn't think that all the Bible is true. Yeah. Maybe somebody else who is raising you and you say, today at school we learned and they just kind of shut you down. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. We don't believe that. We're Christians. We don't believe that. It's like, yeah, but it's true. Well, we don't believe that. Well, what was that about? Why are Christians so afraid? Why are Christians so fearful? Why are we not the most curious people and scientifically oriented people in the world? I'll tell you why. Because you were raised in a culture like I was raised in, and it was all or nothing. If anything proves that something in the Bible isn't actually, absolutely, historically, scientifically reliable, uh uh-oh, the whole thing comes tumbling down. Because this version of Christianity is a house of cards. And all you have to do is... What do you think he's worrying about being shown that's not true? I mean, I get the feeling that maybe he's talking about evolution. I think he believes in evolution. I think also it's... um, What is it called when it's um, how old the world is? Oh, 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 yeah, because he says... um, um, an older theory versus yeah, younger yeah, theory. Right. Six thousand years versus right. three million or whatever. Like maybe he's worried maybe he's worried that and there are old earth Christians. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who simultaneously affirm the scriptures and believe the earth can be old. It doesn't mean they affirm evolution. Mm-hmm. But I think he feels like, okay, if you don't 
if you if, if you don't how can I put this? If anything, if anything makes the Bible look untrue, then you can't be, then you can't believe that. That's that's what he's saying. You can't believe that part. Well, and I'm not even going to go into it here, but I think this would be great for another setting. And this is even a point where you know maybe me and Robert differ a little bit on on our interpretation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Take for example the Book of Revelation. The Book of Revelation is a unique genre of literature. It is apocalyptic. Meaning it is poetry, mm-hmm. it is symbolic, it is metaphoric. <laughs> and let's say that, that, you know, someone someone says, well, you know, there's not going to be, you know, ten-headed beasts, so you can't believe the Bible. You are not even looking at the context of this document. Mm-hmm. Why it was written to edify the churches, what it tells us about history, and so that's how people are, you know, people can nitpick, but if we're not equipped to understand the context of Scripture, we're going to feel like that fragile house of cards is going to fall down. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, and you bring up revelations, and I think one of the things, if you think about, if he had a vision of, of the end of the world or a vision of something that he saw was going on, it's thousands of years before cars were made. Mm-hmm. Thousands of years before anybody knew what a plane was. Mm-hmm. A cars. I mean, how would you describe that if you had no idea what it was? Yeah. Other than to say it was some great beast or some great. You know, I mean, this, I'm not saying that that's what happened. I'm just saying that you have to consider that right. at, at a, to a point. And there's so many things, Robert. This would be. We should do a series on objections to Christianity. That would be an awesome series for us mm-hmm. to do to cover those things. You know, people who say, well, um, um, Psalm says that the earth is flat. Well, it says the earth is a sphere. And, and right, and when you look when you look in a picture, how does it portray? If you were to look down at earth, just mm-hmm. as every painting has it, it's a sphere. Right. In most of the cultures, um, in ancient Babylonian Near East, would not even have declared it was a sphere. Um, so, so the fact that you have this sort of language is showing supernatural origins mm-hmm. for what they believed about uh, the universe. I need to find that. Um, I used to have an awesome witness card to people who were in the science community mm-hmm. about the scriptures that talked about science. From Living Waters? It might have been from How Living Waters. science Water. confirms the scriptures. Yep, and there was yes. one in there, one of my favorite that uh, it talks about the ocean floor being like mountains mm-hmm. and having, you know, mountaintops and so forth. And, you know, which that didn't come about into sonar. And, and But when you bring that topic up, I'm like, now this was written thousands of years ago. Before submarines, sonar. How did the writer know that? Mm. Nowhere in any other part of uh, history or any other writer was depicting the ocean floor as mountaintops. It, they would have said it was flat. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that's always a good one. It's a good little little nugget. Well, we're about in an hour right now. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we're eight minutes into the sermon. Wow. <laughs> out of 40 minutes. So this may be three or four-part series. I think it'd probably be a three-part. I mean, well, there, well, there may be a chunk where we actually can watch the video for a good minute before yeah. we actually stop it. But. Once we... Once we get into the once our once our anger recedes a little bit, <laughs> then we can calmly watch. Well, when you get into the importance of scripture, it's just like Jesus told the Pharisees in John chapter five. He says to them, "You think they bring about eternal life, but they are what bring about. They bear witness about me." When he talks about in chapter five, verse thirty-nine. So all of scripture is bearing witness of who Jesus Christ is. Now, he's telling the Pharisees what they would have had. They would have had the Tanakh, the Old Testament. He's saying, your scriptures bear witness of who? Me. Mm. And so the importance of scripture, that's why this may take a three-part series, because Mm. it is that important. If you do not have a foundation built on scripture alone, your foundation will not last. It will crumble. You'll be unsettled. You'll have to go to Google for your answers, and you'll have no hope. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And as we read in the one scripture in Romans 15, the scriptures are there to encourage and give hope. Mm -hmm. Amen. Well, friends, uh, we're glad that you joined us today. We will uh, find a uh, nice little exit worship song. But uh, hopefully until next time. And and, and hopefully these won't take as much editing because they're pretty much straight through. And we can get these more frequent. Sound good? Amen. All right. This is uh, Jess the Radical signing out. Rain Man, it's Robert, been good. Robert the Rain Man. Anchorman. I am Andy the Anchorman. Uh, the little Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all be blessed. Be Bye-bye. Blessed. For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel On earth is not his equal Did we in our own strength confide Our striving would be losing Were not the right man on our side the man of God's own choosing Dost ask who that may be Christ Jesus it is he Lord Sabaoth his name From age to age the same And he must win the battle Threaten to undo us. We will not fear, for God has willed His truth to triumph through us. The Prince of Darkness grim, we tremble not for Him. His rage we can endure, for lo, His doom is sure. One little word shall fail him That word above all earthly powers No thanks to them abideth The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us Let goods and kindred go This mortal life also The body they may kill God's truth abideth still His kingdom is forever